So this is the last official message in our series in 2 Corinthians, which we've been calling Weakness is the Way. Uh, Next week will be an intergenerational communion service, and we'll be seeing uh, some of the artistic responses that some of the creatives in our midst have made in response to what they've heard and what they've read in the book of 2 Corinthians. So that's next week. This week, in our final message, official, official message, we're going to be talking about human weakness and God's power. If you were here the first Sunday of the series, you'll remember me talking about the backstory, the really important backstory that lies behind the letter of 2 Corinthians. And you'll have heard me say that this is the most personal of Paul's letters. It's the most complex because of the conflicted relationship that Paul had with the Corinthian church. And that backstory is really important today as we take a look at these last few chapters of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10 to 13 are quite different in tone than the rest of the chapters. In fact, for a lot of reasons, some scholars think that this section that we're looking at today actually existed as a separate letter. Paul is sarcastic. Paul is self-deprecating. Paul is defensive. He's, he has moments of that throughout the book, but especially in these last few chapters, it's quite, uh, it's quite real, quite tangible. And here we see Paul confronting head-on a significant source of the conflict that he has between the Corinthians and himself. And this, the source of this conflict could be t- uh, termed as the super apostles, and I use that in quote marks, but that's actually Paul's term. He calls them super apostles, and I can just imagine his sarcasm as he uses that term. Super apostles and the different gospel that they are offering. So these super apostles and this different gospel put Paul on the defensive, They cause Paul to have to defend his own integrity as a leader and to defend the gospel that he is trying to preach. And how does he do this? How does he defend both himself as a leader and the gospel that he wants to to convey? He does it by pointing to his own experiences of weakness. It's totally unexpected, but God-inspired. So let's take a look at that first section of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Paul writes, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Who are these super apostles and what is this different gospel that they're trying to sell? Well, we have to do a little bit of detective work. We have to fill in the blanks a little bit, but... There are some things that we can um, discern just from reading the book of 2 Corinthians. These super apostles, they were likely 
what we call Judaizers. They were Jews who taught that Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order for God to find them acceptable. That's a bit of a guess, but it's a pretty good guess that these super apostles were the people who were saying, you all need to be circumcised. Non-Jews must be circumcised in order to be acceptable to God. Clearly, these super apostles were very eloquent speakers. They charge money for their teaching and their preaching and their ministry. That also was clear from reading the book of 2 Corinthians. And they like to boast. You'll notice that Paul uses the word boasting a lot. And we can read into that, that he is trying to respond to the super apostles boasting. They like to talk a lot about themselves. They like to talk, we assume, about their achievements, their abilities, their amazing spiritual experiences that you too can have if you follow us. The super apostles. And what was the nature of the gospel that we think they were trying to sell, this different Jesus? Well, again, it's a little bit of guesswork here, but it's educated guesswork. This different gospel would have involved some triumphalist parts. That means they wouldn't have had room for suffering and weakness in their gospel. Suffering and weakness were signs of God's disfavor. And the gospel might have been works-based, like you have to do certain things in order for God to bless you. This different gospel also made Paul look bad, because, of course, a different gospel that's very victorious and always triumphant doesn't involve someone who's not always that great a speaker, someone who doesn't always come across as being charismatic and... and, uh, confident. So as a result of the super apostles and this different gospel they were preaching, those, those things come into conflict with Paul and Paul's teaching. And so he all of a sudden is on the defensive. His competency, his authority as a leader, his theology, all of it being called into question by the presence of these people and their influence in Corinth. Now if you're a leader and you've poured yourself out into a church, for instance, or into some organization, and some other leaders come into that, and they start to call into question everything you stand for, how might you respond? Like, if you're on the defensive, how are you going to respond? Imagine Paul responding the way that your average politician responds. How might Paul respond if he was one of our uh, politicians running for office in the recent election and he was being criticized? He might point to, I've had a supernatural experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He struck me blind and then he healed me again. I planted 20 churches across Asia. I have garnered thousands of converts. I have raised 10,000 drachmas, that's just my estimation, for the gospel. I've healed five people. Here they are today. I've written 10 letters and I've preached 15 messages and all of them have involved people turning to Jesus. Take that, super apostles. That's not how he responds. In fact, 
Paul responds precisely the opposite. Instead of boasting about his accomplishments, instead of boasting about his supernatural revelations, of which he has had at least one, he boasts instead of his suffering and his weakness. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 to 30. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, I've already said, if Paul wanted to, he could list all his achievements, including his amazing spiritual experiences. Why does he boast about all the ways that he has suffered and even been humiliated? Is it a suffering contest he's trying to win with the super apostles? Is it a poor me thing? Is he taking the victim stance in order to make himself seem more important? I want to tell you that I think he's doing something much more profound than either of those two things. He's laying a path for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because Jesus, the Messiah, suffered and died and rose to life. And that forms the pattern for Paul's ministry. Paul follows a suffering Messiah. A powerful God, to be sure, but it begins in suffering. And so Paul is embodying the gospel that he believes. He's not just talking about himself and his suffering for the cause of Christ. He's embodying the true gospel in response to that false gospel. Because the fundamental problem with the super apostles and their gospel was that it had no room for weakness, no room for a weak God, no room for weak leaders, and no room for suffering. And that is indeed, my friends, a false gospel. Paul counteracts this false gospel by being real about his experiences of weakness and suffering. Paul demonstrates God's resurrection power not by his spiritual victories, but by his experience of weakness. And that all, of course, is a setup for one of the very familiar passages of Scripture we're now going to read in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's such a familiar passage to me, and I'm sure to most of us, that we might miss how entirely unexpected and counterintuitive this is. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul describes his weakness as an ongoing present reality, not some past experience that God has saved him from. What we might expect is Paul to say something like, yeah, things were hard for a while. In fact, they were so hard, I didn't know how I was going to survive. And I prayed to God, and then Jesus came and relieved my suffering. Friends, he completely healed me. Sort of a little bit like the things that my friend Kanye West is saying recently. I don't know much about Kanye, that iconic, very successful rapper. My daughter tells me a lot about Kanye. Con, Kanye. Thank you. See, that's how well I know Kanye. But I know that he's made this new album called Jesus is King, because he really loves Jesus right now, and that in itself is awesome. I watched with interest his recent interview on a plane with James Corden. Anybody see it? Wave if you've seen it. Okay. So this is what Kanye says to James. God's always had a plan for me, and he's always wanted to use me. But I think he wanted me to suffer more and wanted people to see my suffering and see my pain. So now, when I talk about Jesus, how Jesus saved me, more people can relate to that experience. Now, God is using me to show off, says Kanye. Last year, I ended up $35 million in debt. This year, I looked up, and I just got $68 million returned to me on my tax return. People can relate to that experience. So that, can you see the contrast? I, I don't want to talk trash on Kanye. Man, if he is choir wants to come to my church, I'll take him anytime. I just want you to see, that's not what Paul is saying, right? That's not Paul's style. Paul would be saying, I was $35 million in debt, and I asked God to take away my debt, and God said, I'm not taking away your debt, but I'm taking care of you. Now go show the world what it looks like to live day-to-day -day trusting me. That's Paul's style. Even after a profound spiritual encounter that Paul had, he continues to be weak and to suffer. I know it kind of sucks, because maybe that doesn't encourage you, or maybe, maybe it does. Because maybe I'm not going to promise you that God's not going to give you $35 million back on your tax return. But if weakness is a present, ongoing reality in your life, that doesn't mean that God isn't with you. In fact, 
you can be assured of God's presence with you as you continue to invite him in. So for Paul, the experience of weakness, not this past reality, and now everything is good, it's this present experience. So I want you to notice that. The other thing I want you to notice, which is especially meaningful to me today, is that Paul does not minimize evil and its consequences. He calls this thing, this thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan. Messenger, the word in Greek is actually angel, like an angel of Satan. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. Scholars wax on poetically about what it might be. We don't know. But what we do know is that it was a torment to him. And he pleaded with God to take it away. What we have here is Paul pleading to remove this messenger of Satan. And God doesn't. It's not because God can't. It's because he doesn't. Now, God's power eventually does triumph over evil, like at the very end of the story, right? We're just not at the end of the story yet. Paul wasn't at the end of the story. This messenger of Satan, this influence, remains in his life. And it's not glib triumphalism here that Paul is talking about. Paul's not saying, Jesus had victory over Satan, and I don't, I don't experience Satan's influence at all. I don't experience that accuser in my life. It's not exactly what Paul is saying. Something can both be a messenger of Satan and a vehicle of God's grace. Messenger of Satan and a vehicle of God's grace. And I know it's hard to hold those two things together. There's a gap in there that I don't understand. But somehow to me, calling something bad that's bad has been helpful to me this week. Yesterday morning in North Vancouver, there were many of us that were at two separate memorial services. It's a very interesting convergence. Two memorial services took place in North Vancouver yesterday for two beloved women taken in the prime of their life. Each woman about my age, each woman trusting in Jesus, each woman leaving behind a loving husband and children who still need a mother. One of those women was Heather Baxter, the wife of Martin, who pastors St. Andrew's St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church. Heather's memorial service was taking place at their church at 11 a.m. yesterday. And the other service, I had the privilege of leading at 11 a.m. at Hillside Baptist Church. And the person that we were paying tribute to at Hillside was Joanne Woldridge. This is a woman who attended Hillside briefly and whose life was changed by an alpha that the Zimmermans and the Thompsons ran. Only one alpha they've ever participated in, actually. <laughs> and uh, Joanne had this profound spiritual encounter. And Joanne's family are bereft. 
and Joanne faced her life with the peace of Christ in her heart. She was radiant with the peace of Christ. Those of you who had the chance to visit with her before she died, you knew that she knew Jesus. You knew that she was trusting Jesus with her life. Those words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul talks about outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly being renewed day by day. Oh my goodness, I could just see it in Joanne's life. But those weren't the verses that I quoted to her family when I visited them in Joanne's house less than five hours after Joanne had passed away. I came into that house with a husband who's devastated and a sister and parents who had lost a beloved sister and daughter and two teenagers who were trying to just kind of come and go as if it was a normal day. And it was not a normal day. And it somehow helped me to read that death was a messenger of Satan. (laughs) It somehow helped me to know that God didn't think this death was okay. It somehow helped me to know that this thing, this terrible thing, could be both a messenger of Satan and a vehicle of God's grace. That God somehow in the end would be triumphant that God somehow in the end was going to redeem this unimaginable pain, that God had Joanne and that God has her family. These things I know are true, and yet somehow that death was wrong. And something in these verses that I read this week as I was preparing for the message, it helped me to hold on to those two things. It helped me to know that we can have a good God who doesn't take away suffering, even though he's capable of taking away suffering. But he doesn't call what's evil good. He just will triumph over that evil in the end. Every death, every illness, every experience of suffering is tinged with evil and yet has the seed of glory the seed of God's power. Every experience of suffering has the possibility of being infused with God's grace. But it's not this happy clappy, it's okay everybody, everything happens for a reason, God just needed one more angel in heaven. No, no, no. It's like the cold and broken hallelujah that Leonard Cohen talks about, right? Love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. It's a hallelujah But this side of heaven, in this now and not yet life, now and not yet kingdom, it's it's cold and it's broken. And that's why we pray for God's kingdom to come, because it's not yet as it should be. And one day it will be. In the meantime, as we experience the now but not yet, as we experience the messenger of Satan and the grace of God, we we pray into that gap and we say, how long, Lord? How long? Your kingdom come. So, 
In contrast to those super apostles, Paul was weak. In contrast to the false gospel and the promise of prosperity now, the true gospel recognizes the reality of human suffering and God's ultimate victory and glory over that suffering one day, but maybe not yet. And our experience of life in Christ will include ongoing weakness and an experience of God's presence as we depend on God. And I hope that doesn't sound glib to you. I want to end with this quote from Paul and then this wonderful quote from D.A. Carson as a way of inviting you, perhaps, to share your own places where you need God's help today or where you've received God's help. So I remind you of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here's the quote that biblical scholar D.A. Carson writes as a setup for what I'm going to invite you to share. D.A. Carson, on this particular chapter, this book that he writes on the last few chapters of 2 Corinthians called From Triumphalism to Maturity, says this, Christians ought to be greatly ashamed of boasting about strengths, skills, victories, training, successes, and productivity in their lives. Isn't that great? Christians ought to be greatly ashamed of boasting about what they're good at. As if, on the one hand, we either earn them or deserve them, or as if, on the other, other such things make us intrinsically more acceptable to the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so, friends, I invite you to do a little bit of boasting now, <clears throat> boasting if you're up for it. Take a page from Paul's book, I invite you, and boast about the places where you are weak today. Where are you weak? Where do you need God's help? And how, how is God or how might God meet you in those weak places? So I've got Rod here with the microphone ready to go. If any of you would like to do some boasting, some boasting about the places where you're weak, where you need God's help. It's entirely biblical. I invite you to share just briefly, and then a few of us will, will pray, and then we'll invite Robbie to come and to lead us in some musical worship. So where do you need God's help today? Where are you weak? How is God meeting you in those places?